All right, you're back in the DFSR. It's an NBA podcast. It's Wednesday. It's January 29th. I'm Doug Norrie, and over there is... James Davis. Are you going to demand a trade um, four years early on your contract? Um, like, calling, Could you see yourself doing that? Just be like... First of all, I don't have a contract. Uh, second of all, demand, no one would have me. <laughs> who wants, who wants me? <laughs> Go ahead. See, see what you can do. Call, uh, call some of the other outfits and... See if anyone's open for a trade. I don't know what kind of... See, I feel like I'm going to be an undervalued asset in that trade because I just don't even have like my own personal Twitter account and stuff like that. So right. I, don't, I don't think you'll get full value. But yeah, go for it. Well, that's a, well. You just know better than to demand it, right? And so, like, that's where it stands. It's not, okay. So you wouldn't. So you're not like you're not Carl Anthony Towns, who rumor has it he's going to demand that you know trade out of. I know they're not playing today, but whatever. Let's talk. A little, we can talk a little basketball here. The, he's going to try to trade out. Of, wants to demand a trade out of uh, Minnesota, even though he has four years left on his contract. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a great. It's not a great look for the NBA if you start doing this. Like I'm not sure what. I'm not sure what you do as, as teams if, if guys are just going to stay sign a contract and a year later, you know, a five year contract and a year later just say they want to be done with it. It's just like, what does a team even do? And by the way, my man can play a little defense. Like his on off court numbers, uh, they're 114. Their offense is their offensive rating obviously dips off a cliff when he's on on the, on the court. They go from 113 with him on the court to a 99 off the court. That's, that is terrible. But the defense is. Is atrocious with him on the court. They get outscored 114 to 114.6 with him uh, on the court, and it dips down to 104 with him off. So I don't know. Play a little defense, and maybe you win some of those close games. I I just I, I have very little patience for stuff like this. I don't know how you feel. We can get the the slate here in a second, but it's just such a bad look. I think. Yeah, I think it's. I don't. I don't really know. I you know I'm trying to remember being that young and like feeling entitled to every Fair single enough. thing, but. Yeah. Like the part where you just put your name, you put a pen to paper and say, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm committing to. That's the embarrassing piece for me. It's like, I just, that, that's something I just can't relate to and would never do. So I, I don't know. <laughs> I hate to be like the old man on the corner. I don't think it's too and old I know that like The culture, yeah. in, well, the culture in America these days, I think it's very pro-labor, which I think, you know, by and large it needed to be based on where it was in like the 1900s, like early 1900s, you know? And I think the individual has all sorts of, you know, rights and all that kind of stuff. But like, you know, if I'm going to put my name to paper and say, I'm going to do something, unless something dramatically changes or the other person, you know, somehow alters the deal, I'm just going to do that thing. And that's, that seems like the easiest way to live my life. So, um, yeah, it, it, it bums me out. It does make me lose a little bit of respect for those guys. And then it's just going to be probably a long couple seasons because I don't think the Timberwolves are going to be incentivized to try to do a trade like this. It's to be hard to get value back on him um, would be my guess if he takes such a haul. Anyway, whatever. That'll be play that out as it comes. We do have a six-game NBA slate here. Uh, not the most enticing slate just on its face, I don't think. Uh, a bunch of slow teams, some teams that are not all that DFS relevant. But we'll roll through them and kind of take a look at where some of the value is. Uh, the, go through the injury news. There is a, There are a couple things that we're waiting on. After last night, where we get you know a lot of the relevant news really early, like Giannis being out, and that kind of crystallizes at least half your cash game lineups pretty much with Bucks guys. And then, you know, the, last night all the games started within a pretty small window. Today it's a little more spread out, but there's a little less news. Although the Rockets game could be could cause something of a headache. First game, Chicago goes in in, in Indiana, um, and the big news here is that Victor Oladipo is questionable to play but probably more like probable to play up oh, never mind no he's they've changed the thing he's in he's gonna play tonight Great. so after about a year 
um, after he had, I believe it was a thigh rupture, um, where his, I think it was like gruesome, I think it was like his like thigh muscle came detached from the bone or something, something crazy, something crazy bad like that. He is back. I guess the only real question here, FanDuel has some priced at four thousand dollars, right? <laughs> and the I I can't imagine he plays more than fifteen minutes, right? Like he has been not. It's not like this has been a year out, and it's a leg injury. So that's like kind of the whole mashup of things that like wouldn't have you going out there and play a lot of minutes. But four thousand for Victor Oladipo, it's it's pretty cheap, and. That combined with what do you do with the rest of Indiana now that he is back? Because you do have Brogdon, who is questionable here, but we'll have the news. You have Miles Turner questionable. But what does it do to the rest of the team? T.J. Warren's a guy we wanted to play in the past. What does it do to the rest of the team having Oladipo back, even if it was only for you know, maybe a few minutes? So if it's for like 15 minutes, then it doesn't really do anything at all. Uh, if it's for 25 minutes, I'd say that is a pretty serious impact on the rest of the players. Uh, so yeah, early on, I'm going to assume it's not going to do very much. Hopefully we'll get news as to exactly what the minutes limit looks like because that's sort of fundamental to the rest of it. 4000 is an interesting price point because I'd be pretty tempted. Like if, if they say he's on a 20-minute uh, limit, for instance, he's going to play pretty much exactly 20 minutes, right? Unless he re-injures himself, wouldn't you say? Like that that's not like the type of thing where... Like because sometimes bench guys screw us where you're like, hey, I only need 20 minutes out of Boban and... He can easily pay this price. It's like, well, sometimes he'll play eight, and then you just lose outright. With stars returning, like he will play the full run, right? Normally, like that, that, that's like that's like a blowout proof number. It's a it's a it's the exact proof. number. You you yeah. know the exact number that he's going to play, and I suppose you don't know exactly how he'll perform um, because you know chances are good he could be not in perfect shape and all the rest of the other stuff. But I still think. I'll just punch it into the system and see what happens. Really, like that's right. that's my plan. It's just to give him whatever they declare the minutes limit is, put that in the system, and then play him if he's a good play, and avoid him if he's not. Um, it does seem like a pretty high floor number either way, though. So I wouldn't be shocked to see us, maybe for the first time ever, uh, playing a returning star on the very first day he comes back from a terrible. Injury. It's just because the four. It's not even a question on DraftKings. It's just because the four thousand number is so low. I mean, exactly. that's that's really the really the only question at this point. As far as the rest of Indiana, I mean, you do have a it's not a great matchup here against Chicago, all things considered. They have had injury issues around the specifically around the center position with Wendell Carter out and then Laurie Markin. And I mean, I guess he's a power forward, but kind of gone between both Laurie Markin and out as well. Haven't gotten tons of great production from the guys who've come in and, and I mean, Luke Cornett has been just downright terrible at times. Thad Young's just been met and the prices come up. And they're kind of on a defensive standpoint, they're a top ten defensive team this season, a 105.4 defensive efficiency. Anyone else interest you here in Indiana? Um, and then going the other way, I, I'm I'm really kind of not seeing it with the Chicago guys. Levine kind of has taken over most of the usage, and really the rest of the guys are pretty marginalized. Yeah, right now our system isn't really seeing any bulls coming in, and it's a combination of both the fact that you know Levine has, like you said, marginalized a lot of the other guys offensively, but also this Indiana matchup is just pretty darn tough. You know, they're playing a top ten defense this season, and pairing that with a bottom five pace and in situations like that, if your team is already pretty sketchy and not just rife with DFS plays, then you're very unlikely to make our cash game cut. So right now, that is how it's bearing out. Uh, Memphis is going to host. Oops, I just clicked off. Memphis, excuse me. Memphis is going in to New York to play the Knicks. This game has a 225 over/under, 
and Memphis is coming off of uh, they beat Denver last night. So this is just uh, the, the surprises continue with this Memphis team. It's really I got my face. I, I gave you the Denver bet last yesterday on the pod. I guess it didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't go work out, and just well, they won outright. Yeah, <laughs> forget about not covering. I mean, I guess they, I think it only closed like it was minus a one two. point spread. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh no, excuse me, Memphis did. Mem- that's right, Memphis. It, it flips. Memphis was the underdog, and then they were minus one, and then yeah, they just won not easily, but I mean, they won by eight in a game that they. Uh, they, they, it looks closer than it was because Denver kind of made a comeback in the in the fourth quarter. So they, they won this game pretty decidedly. Knicks uh, are also on the back-to-back here. They um, are a pretty bad defensive team, though, pr- pretty slow. Give me some of your DFS thoughts on where to go on either team. The only real injury news that's worth mentioning here is pr- it's probably Jay Crowder, who's questionable. Kyle Anderson has gotten the start for him over the last couple games. Uh, but the, And R.J. Barrett's been out for the Knicks. But any thoughts here on the Memphis and Knicks game? Yeah, I could see a case for a couple Memphis guys, I guess. I mean, John Morant comes to mind. He is 7,300 right now. In games where he's playing his full minutes, he's paying this price pretty much. I mean, it does it comes and goes a little bit, but especially now that the assists seem legit um, and that he's pitching in some rebounds too, like, yeah, I could just see him being something like an $8,000 player by season's end. So uh, right now I, I think he's a reasonable value. Uh, Valanciunas was a guy that was kind of kicking around our system early yesterday. We weren't exactly sure where the minutes were going to wind up. Uh, He wound up playing 33 minutes against Denver, but part of you wonders if that's because Denver presents one of the matchups where he can stay on the court more easily, right? Uh, Because they run Jokic. So, you know, he he tends to get more minutes when he's playing up against teams with a true center and fewer minutes uh, when he goes up against teams that are a little smaller and a little faster. So what's your gut on what his minutes should look like for tonight. Is this going to be a 30-plus minutes Valanciunas game or like a low 20s minutes game? Yeah, I usually try to set him in the 27 to 28 range. Like that's where it kind of usually tends to fall, like sort of on average. I get that you have the 33-minute games where you're just going to hit really big upside. It just doesn't come around enough on him sure. to really set that as like the baseline expectation. So. You know, maybe not against a bad team here where he's not going to get played off the court as easily. Maybe you can go up to like 29, and I think that's pretty fair. Uh, they just have a couple guys like this, right? Like he's like this. Morant is a little bit like this. Morant only played 29 minutes last night. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., who, who at times, you know, foul trouble sometimes is what bites him. Those those fouls turned into blocks last night. He had seven blocks <laughs> in against Denver. Um, that's a lot of blocks. Yeah, he's. He's really he's another one too. Like if he can get up to that thirty-three minute range, he's another guy that I'd probably be incentivized a little bit to play sixty-four hundred on FanDuel. Like I said, the minutes are what keeps the price down on him. It's kind of the same for all these guys, right? The minutes are so variable, and sometimes you just can't tell why that's the case. Is it because they're saving him? Is it because they're foul trouble? Is it because you know it's a rotational thing? It's like I think it's sort of different at times, right? I don't think there's an organizational plan that says we only want to play. Jonas Valanciunas, 28 minutes a game. Clearly, that isn't the case. I think that's my hard part. It's like I think it's sort of different for every guy. Does that, you get the sense from this? But we've looked at this for like all season long with this team every game. I, I don't get the sense that there's – I think there's a rhyme or reason, but I think the rhyme or reason is different for every guy. I think maybe that's, that's, mm-hmm. maybe that's the part where I sometimes have trouble like putting my finger on exactly where to go with these Memphis minutes. Yeah, I think that makes sense to me. I think that there's – you know, there's a reason why these guys are a little bit priced below their upside and – I think you pretty much hit it, hit the nail right on the head. And I think that makes some pretty interesting big tournament plays on a pretty nightly basis. Um, I do think with someone like Jaron Jackson, you probably could. Like, you can see some floor starting to develop on these prices. And I think he's a playable guy against a, this New York team. I think they will need him out there uh, to contend with Randall. So, yeah, I think he's a good catch game play today. 
we mentioned Marcus Morris as a potential cash game play yesterday. Did not, thankfully, did not ultimately get there on him. But I do. I, I wouldn't mind going back to it. I had a pretty weak small forward position on FanDuel specifically. Um, he, you know, he played 34 minutes last night. He, and he put, you know, he, he kind of just does this thing. It's like 20 on FanDuel, 27, 28, 35, 25, 25. Like he kind of just does. I feel like you basically know what you're getting from him. It's never going to be 40 points. So he really can't put him in, in a, it's very difficult to put him in like a tournament winning lineup, I think. But with a cash game lineup, the fact that you kind of know what you're getting out of him, it's not going to, it just doesn't feel like he's going to kill you. And I don't think he'll kill you in this matchup either. Is that like a fair assessment to him? Um, we can kind of move on. I, I don't mind guys like Peyton and Randall, by the way, either. Uh, Alfred Peyton and Julius Randall. But quick, uh, any other Marcus Morris thoughts beyond that? Um, and then we can probably move on off the Knicks. Yeah, I agree with the sentiment on Morris. I think he's potentially a little bit underrated for small slates in cash games just because we get a lot of questions about him anytime he shows up in our cash game lineups. I will say that, you know, I think he's basically priced appropriately at this point. I wouldn't be excited at all to run him even in cash games going up against Memphis in spite of the fact that they're a fast team and, you know, not especially great against small forwards. But small forward is one of those positions where we're often left with very few interesting options regardless. So I could see it sort of making sense tonight. Um, the other guys you mentioned, you know, Randall, he's actually sort of slots into a similar category as Morris for me right now uh, with how this team is currently constructed. He's getting some points. Um, the rebounds, uh, by and large, are there, but can come and go on you. But the price point now is to where you sort of need it all to click together for him to be a viable DFS option on a nightly basis. So, yeah, I can't say I'm over the moon there. I do like Elf, though. I think he's, you know, given that he's kind of contributing across the board right now, scoring a little bit. The assists seem very solid, chipping in some defensive stats, even rebounding a little bit. I, I think he's a, a guy that I could see in cash games tonight. So, yeah, this this game, if you would have told me at the beginning of the season that we have a Knicks-Grizzlies game where there were multiple interesting DFS options and it wasn't totally injury-related, I might have thought you were crazy. But, but yeah, I And then you had to pick which one yeah. of these teams was in the playoffs right as of right now. You were like, oh, it's it's the end of January. One of these teams is in the playoffs. I, I think it, I probably would have chosen the Knicks, I think. I you think, think so? I think I could have chosen. Do you remember their offseason? Like, they have some... I actually was kind of bullish on the Knicks going into this year. I, de- I definitely would have chosen the Knicks going into this, if, if that was the question at the beginning of the year, hmm. just because of the state of the East, like how weak the yeah, East sure. was. I was okay. like, maybe maybe they put it all together. Maybe Julius Randle made a bigger impact. They, they were starting Mitchell Robinson every game. Like, I, I, there was a lot of paths for me. Yeah, but, R.J. Like, Barrett Knicks, was doing what John Morant is doing, right? Exactly, yeah. right. Like, there was a lot more paths than, like, a team that was like, how the how the hell would Memphis get into the playoffs in the, in the West? Yeah. <laughs> like, that, and that saying? being said, you know, Memphis has 10 more wins in this team. They're still just two-and-a-half-point favorites heading into MSG. So I think, uh, yeah, I think you can target this game. Uh, okay, let's keep rolling here. We have Detroit and Brooklyn. This, these two teams played uh, last over the weekend. So I don't, I don't want to use one-to-one what happened in that game as you know a proxy for what's going to happen in this one. Though Kyrie in that game did drop 45 points, went for 45-7-6. The game did go, go to overtime, and he, but he, he went completely off uh, in the fourth quarter. Or excuse me, the Cleveland at the beginning of the second half, uh, and then really just buoyed his line. Jared Allen played for 35 minutes in regulation. He went 20 and 15. Though I will say for that, DeAndre Jordan sat that game out. DeAndre Jordan is probable tonight. And then on the Detroit side, Derrick Rose sat out last game, but is going to be back. He went for 27 and six. And then Andre Drummond did his 2020 mashup, <laughs> where he went for 20 points and 21 rebounds. I'm mentioning these these specific lines only because one, these two teams, right? They just played each other. And I guess I want your opinion on how much that factors in 
or maybe just gives you a sense of like calm. If like you see a guy like Kyrie come into the into the top lineups right now, like right now he's in our on our Fanduel lineup. Kyrie did sit out last game over the weekend uh, because of personal issues, but it was because of the death of Kobe Bryant. They were very very good friends, and um, you have to assume that that's probably still affecting him in some way. I don't really. I guess there's not. You can't project on things like that. But uh, just give me your thoughts in general. But I, that's the reason I was summing up the last game that they just played a couple days ago. So. When I see teams that have just played each other very recently, there are things that I think you can take away from it. So, But you have to be pretty discerning. I think that minutes are the number one thing, right? So you can look at something and say, when these two teams meet, this was the plan for these given coaching staffs. And I think that's actually super, super relevant. And I'll typically just plug in the exact minutes uh, that the guys played in regulation in the previous game. Uh, I will say that I think you can also take general shot-based opportunity pretty seriously, too. So, you know, if a random guy comes out of nowhere and shoots 15 shots when he normally shoots seven, I think that is a signal that you can take that, you know, one offense saw a hole in the opposing defense. Uh, things that I don't really care very much about, field goal percentage, you know, that can just be totally random. Uh, stuff like steals and blocks, I think that's maybe less so on blocks, but certainly steals. Uh, I'm just going to default to averages there. So I think you have to be... Yeah, you just have to be cautious about how you employ that data, but I think it is relevant, and I think it is something you can keep an eye on. And for some of these really polarizing players, like Andre Drummond comes to mind here too. Uh, if Drummond puts up 20 rebounds against a team, it means that he's got some sort of advantage down low, and he's right. probably going to be fixing to take care of that again. Uh, like you said, Jordan likely to be back for this game, but I don't think at this stage in his career, he's he's the type of guy that's going to bring Drummond's rebound total from 20 one to nine, <laughs> you know. So, I think not that, twenty, uh, not twenty-one to nine, but maybe, but, but a, real, a more realistic thing would be like twenty-one to like seventeen. Like DeAndre Jordan is does offer not much, but he offers just like he, he's a, he is an upgrade against a guy like Drummond over a guy like Claxton. I still think Drummond's a good play, by the way. Over like, Claxton, not that. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I think that like the one thing DeAndre can do well is like sort of like take up some space in the paint and rebound. Like that's he does, he does a lot of other things poorly at this point, but that's one thing sure. he does. Yeah, I mean, really he's well. averaging think, ten rebounds a game on twenty-one minutes, right? So or, that's sorry. what I mean. That's a that's a yeah. that's yeah that's a big that's a that's a that's a lot of boards for not that much time, especially for right. like one of the things you're specifically looking for Drummond to do. So. Um, like I said, Drummond's still a value here, I think. I, I, on FanDuel, you're not going to do it because you're just going to play Jacob Pertle and you're just kind of be done with it. I think that on DraftKings at 9,700, you will see ownership on Drummond. He had very high ownership just last game around against Cleveland. He was something like 86% owned on DraftKings. Uh, we did not have him there. He ended up really underperforming that number. I, the other thing I kind of worry about Drummond, just the Pistons in general, is some nights the 37 minutes are there and just some nights they're not. And I get that there's some context behind it, injections and foul trouble and all this stuff. It just happens enough that it can scare you on the number, right? Like, I, like it's, the Drummond thing is just not – he's not, you know – I'm trying to think of an example of a guy who's, like, locked into – like, Kyle Lowry is, like, 40 minutes or bust of the game's close, right? Like, mm -hmm. that's just not the case with Drummond. I think even, like, DeAndre Ayton's like this. Like, DeAndre Ayton's, like, you know, 30 – not so anyway, I, I think that – Drummond, Drummond loses minutes for more reasons than – many superstars in the league it can be he's in foul trouble he's getting fouled too much um the game this team's winning by too much this team is losing by too much like there's a lot he's, of reasons there's no there's no effort i think there's an effort concerns yeah. with him at times like i think yeah i think there's just yeah, the the list is long of reasons he can lose my minutes but real quick any other thoughts here derrick rose is a guy that's you know popped up at times for us um i still think he's on he's on something of a you really can't go more than 
I don't think, 33 minutes, 34 minutes. He played 36 in that Brooklyn game, but remember that was an OT game. So that was only 31 in regulation. He can really fill it up when he's on the court. And this, this Nets backcourt really has some, you know, Nets in general just have some defensive issues. Could you see Rose as a cash game play today? Yeah, I think so. I think Rose, we've mentioned him as another one of these guys whose minutes are dependent upon the opposition. And I think that you could see him come out and play quite a bit. The one, I guess, thing that would give me pause is the fact that Reggie Jackson didn't play in that Brooklyn game. Yep, and, and he's back. And he, he is, he will be playing. And I think that, you know, Jackson's minutes have been uh, trending upward uh, from 19 in that return game against Sacramento to 25 last game against Cleveland. So that could, that could ding Rose down. I think there's a, a world where the price is a little bit too high for what his opportunity could become. Because uh, I think if, if all things were equal and Jackson were still out, I would love to play Rose here. That's the only thing that gives me a little pause here. That's a great call on Reggie Jackson. I had forgotten about that. And that was actually a guy we ran out in cash games when Rose sat, and I just kind of forgot that the, the minutes are ticking back up in him in a way that cause specifically because he's like another kind of sort of usage point guard, right? Like he's going to derive a lot of his score, his fantasy scoring from actual scoring. So, uh, yeah, good call on, on Reggie Jackson. That probably ends up digging Rose a little more than I had sort of intimated. Let's talk real quick before we get to the rest of these games about The Athletic, theathletic.com, subscription-based sports site. And they've, you know, a couple years ago set out with the idea that they wanted to make sort of like a sports newspaper online with all the best talent that they could find and just really some of the best content out there. And they really just went and did it. Uh, and they are alive and kicking and only growing. And every, it feels like every offseason you, you hear someone, like one of your favorite writers or some really famous writer saying, I'm leaving such and such a place because I'm going to the athletic. I've, that's happened almost every year with a lot of these big writers. They've just gone around and picked off in a good way. The, the best talents when it comes to sports, the best media sort of influencers, uh, the most inside kind of people. And then they put out a subscription-based news service and sports service, uh, content service that it rivals really anything you're going to get anywhere. Uh, they have in-depth coverage. There's local writers for the teams that you follow, so they're going to cover every single team in every single sport. So you know you're going to get that kind of in-depth coverage that you're used to getting from just online sources or even newspapers. You're going to get that from The Athletic, and they're really just setting a new standard for what just specifically sports journalism can be. There's a subscription, so when you get that, there's no ads, there's no pop-ups, no clickbait. Just uh, the great sports writing that tells the story behind the story, player profiles, there's analytics, team power rankings, fantasy stuff. Um, you're not going to find that anywhere else. And each subscriber gets a new, new personalized news feed. So you just kind of, you either click the things you want to see or the athletic just sort of learns what you're engaging with and is going to personalize that news feed just for you. You can also get Q&As with writers and, uh, and all, the, all the stuff that you can get with the athletic. It's just such a good deal at this point. And... If you sign up at theathletic.com slash overtime, O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E, you get 40% off that yearly subscription. You get ready to get started, 40% off that yearly subscription, theathletic.com slash overtime. You're good to go. All right, 8.30 games. Utah goes in and plays the Spurs. The big news on this one is that LaMarcus Aldridge is going to sit out another game. So we're, And I think we have a pretty good idea I mean, I hope I will. famous last words with the Spurs here. A pretty good idea of what the plan is going to be with them with Aldridge out. And that was Jacob Pertle started last game against Chicago, played almost the whole game, played 36 minutes, was awesome, 16 points, 13 rebounds. They played uh, Trey Lyles, got up to 26 minutes. He was pretty good. DeRozan took easily the most shots on the team with 21. But they get a, a matchup here against Utah that is – 
pretty bad. Um, I, what are your thoughts here? You know, when a guy like Aldridge sits, that usually tends to open up value across the board for a team between the boards and specifically the usage. And this matchup is real rough against a top seven Utah team on defense who also just happens to run one of the slowest paces in the league. Yeah, I think you pretty much took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, that's where I was going to go with this too. And Aldridge, while he's a big name, it's not exactly like Aldridge sitting when he was on the Blazers in 2014, right? right. Like he, he only shoots 15 shots a game, which is significant. But you're going to see a, there's a lot of players in the league that shoots 15 shots a game and don't make the rest of their team must plays when they wind up sitting. He's also been rebounding the ball less this year too. So uh, the amount of fantasy production that kind of is run through him, it's significant and it makes a difference. And we're going to you know, account for this inside of our system to ensure that you know it knows that Aldridge is going to sit. But I think after that, it's not, it's not the type of case where he sits and all of a sudden you know, it's like the Raptors when Siakam sits or something, right? And I think that for that reason, it's going to have less of an impact than it might normally have, aside from Pirtle, who, like you said, is, is basically a cash game, absolute lock for us, assuming we get the same signals that he's going to start and you know continue to play minutes tonight. I think you will, too. I think that he's like they are kind of running low on size a little bit without Aldridge. And you need it against and, Utah. Yeah. Exactly, and they're going to need it against Gobert. So I think that um, I, I feel pretty confident about that. I, it's not clear to me that Pirtle's a, a DraftKings play at this point. His price has come up pretty significantly over there. He was near rock bottom prices the other night, but he's up at like the five thousand mark. And so I'm not I'm I'm not a hundred percent that that's a lock. I, I'd feel probably ultimately weird not having him. And I think in the end, this, by the way, I don't know if you've noticed this, but like we haven't talked with great. Um, Veracity about a lot of really good, uh, just sort of DFS plays tonight, <laughs> and I kind of mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast that a lot of these teams, we we have a lot of slow teams on this on this slate. We have a lot of defensively sound teams on this slate, and we have a lot of teams that are just sort of getting healthier. I mean, the Spurs aside, but um, you know, when I look down the just sort of the list of like the, the early lines of makeup, we've talked a lot about a lot of the guys that are in the lineups right now, except that we haven't talked about them with any real great excitement. I, and I think that might just be the theme of the slate. That being said, I only had Pirtle at 31 minutes on DraftKings. If you take him up to like 35, then he probably would end up being a play. And I'd be a little concerned about foul trouble and some other stuff with him there. Okay. Uh, and and I, I'm just not sure I want to go too many other places here on the Spurs. Uh, in terms of the Jazz, you know, this one's a weird one too because – they have Mike Conley back, but Mike Conley's still coming off the bench. But Mike Conley's starting to play a few <laughs> more minutes, and I don't know. Like Donovan Mitchell is still very much a usage, high usage guy in, when things are going well, and I think we can pencil him in for like 36, 37 minutes. I think we can pencil Bogdan Bogdanovic, Bogdan Bogdanovic and Gobert up for those sort of high 30s minutes. And they've just been playing without Conley and been playing the same minutes for a long time that I think their prices are pretty correct. So I, I don't know what kind of just great value we're getting on them, though I do feel like the floors on these guys are really high. Any thoughts here on Utah? So my general thought about Utah as a team is that they're playable but sort of unexciting. And I guess Donovan Mitchell maybe might be the poster child for me for this right now where uh, the prices come back up a little bit, you know, pat ourselves on the back for getting him while he was a little bit cheaper here. But the performance has been up too. And I think the Spurs are a sneaky good DFS matchup, basically playing a league average pace uh, with a bottom eight-ish defensive efficiency. And that's just a pretty solid DFS matchup, right? It's a small slate. Um, you know, we've already mentioned that there are a few decent defenses going today. So I think you can play the Jazz here. I don't think you, by any means you have to go out of your way to fit them in. But if they show up in your lineups, I, I don't think you need to X them out. I don't think Conley's, you know, 
increasing minutes really makes that big a difference for a guy like Mitchell. And I think that the matchup is solid enough that you can get away with it. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think I was maybe probably a tick too low on the Mitchell and Bogdan minutes. And I, maybe that, that might push Mitchell up toward a closer to a cash game play than I was realizing. Um, and again, like this is, it, you sort of get unexciting matchups across the board, except for Houston and Portland. That's the 10 o'clock game. So we, have to, we take an hour and a half break from the 830 to 10, and we get Houston and Portland. And the big news here is the status of James Harden. And this really could just shape the entire slate, right? Because last game, Westbrook, well, Harden has sat out the last two. Westbrook sat out last game on the second half of a back-to-back. So we just kind of had the, the, the Rockets B team that came in and played. Now, Westbrook is going to play because that was just a rest game, that back-to-back. So he's going to play. Harden is questionable. What do we want to do here if, if we do have the hard news, if we don't? I'm of the mind sort of that Westbrook's a play no matter what, even though, but he's, still, he's getting very expensive. I think he'd be a play. Even if we didn't know, I, th- I think I'd be confident putting Westbrook into a lineup at 7 o'clock Eastern and feeling like he wasn't going to kill me here. But what do we do with this hard news? Because this could shape the slate because there is a trickle-down effect of if he doesn't play or if he does play, what happens to the rest of these other guys? Um, and we can talk about that, and we can talk a little about Portland as well. Well, if you can't late swap, you just can't do anything with the Harden news. Like you don't want to construct a lineup around him sitting and then he plays because you'll just lose outright. Right. <laughs> you'll just have, you know, guys like Ben McLemore or people like that that can either play like, you know, 28 minutes or 30 plus minutes or like 14 and do nothing at all. So I don't think you want to be. This isn't a spot where you can speculate. I think I like your take on Westbrook, which is that. I think a really nice spot to be with some of these like big money value guys is that they're okay plays if you know their partner in crime returns, but are great plays if that guy sits. I think that's the t- kind of gamble I'd be looking to make uh, in a new situation like this, and I would not want to be speculating on the super cheap guys. So basically, you know, adding more value to the starters who could be be out there. I mean, you don't want to take a risk on a guy if he might like. You don't want to play Harden if he's questionable, obviously. Right. Um, but those other guys who are definitely going to play, uh, but might be either great or merely good plays, I'd, I'd be happy to play as many of those guys as I can get. And by the way, I didn't even mention that Clint Capella is also questionable. He sat out last game as yeah. well. And you know, there Isaiah Hartenstein was something like a ninety percent cash game play on FanDuel. Didn't start. Didn't play. Really. <laughs> like, this was a guy that went absolutely bananas last couple times that Capella had sat. Sure. And he just didn't play at all. They just they said against the Jazz last game they're like, well, what we're gonna do is we're just gonna play PJ Tucker at the center, and that's Crazy. where they started. And they beat the Jazz by nine. So they 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 beat the they beat a full strength Jazz with a starting lineup of Austin Rivers, Eric Gordon, Ben McLemore, it's Daniel crazy. House, and PJ Tucker at the five. So this is a team, if Capella was out, you can't even trust that Hartenstein, who had played a ton in the past, is going to play. And by the way, we like, want to say, oh, well, they have Hassan Whiteside. Okay, Utah had Rudy Gobert. They didn't seem to care about that one, right? So uh, yeah. I, I, you just can't even, you can't even speculate on what the lineup's going to be. Now they might just change their mind and play Hartenstein. Like, this, is, this is a pretty fluid situation. So we, it's a lot of news to not know around these two guys. I will say that almost matter, no matter what, we're probably getting a good matchup on the going on the Portland side, except they're fully healthy now with C.J. McCollum coming back, and they have they have Trevor Ariza that's been starting at the four at the four for them. Uh, well, I mean, wherever you want to put Melo, the three or the four, he's been starting on the wing. Uh, although he's done the old, well, when I'm on this team and everyone's healthy, I'm not going to shoot at all. So you know, it's just I'll be I'll be doing my cardio up and down the court. What do you want to do here with Portland going against a possibly banged up uh, uh, Rockets team? 
Yeah, I think this is a pretty interesting situation because Portland, they've been a team that, by my estimation, is now sort of priced as though they're healthy. And that is not really where I want to be with a team that, like, you know, basically McCollum comes back and kind of throws his flies in the movement. Like, he, he took 28 points off the board from the rest of these right. guys last game, right? And so I think for that reason, yeah, it's a good matchup. But, like, Lillard in particular, just I know that he just absolutely destroyed Indiana. He just looks expensive to me now, right? Like, like this is I think we talked about this on the podcast yesterday, but we talked about how with young players, we're willing to readjust our priors on them pretty quickly. And on older players, not so much. Doesn't Lillard fall like squarely into that second category where it would be pretty surprising if all of a sudden he just turned into a guy that is a 60 fantasy point threat on a night? No, he's just basis? not going to. Here's the thing, and this is the trap people fall into. He's not going to. And but so, he, he did three nights in a row now, but, right? but, but, including but, in a tough matchup with Indy. And this is just, and I'm not saying he won't do it again tonight. This is like the old, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hedge my comment here, but it's still correct is that it doesn't mean he won't do it tonight. And it's the same thing. Like, we just have so many seasons of Damian Lillard unchanging over the, in the aggregate stats, right? And so he just, he just doesn't become an $11,000 player. He's just not going to. Like, he'll, have, he'll go through a shooting night or a couple of bad shooting nights, and so, many of his, his, so much of his fantasy value is derived from that. I get that he has, he's had some big assist games lately, and maybe I'm undervaluing the assists at this point because, like, 13, 8, 6, 10, 7 is, is a pretty robust uh, – this number, so maybe he's a little bit higher, and maybe that makes him still interesting at 9,800, and he's just not going to be a 55-point-per-game guy, I don't think, right? No, I, agree. Too, I agree completely. I, 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 think, I think it's a clustering effect here because if you go back, like what's changed in Lillard's life in the last week is, would be the question I would ask you because right. we have like hundreds of weeks of Lillard as an NBA-level player. We have a couple hundred as him playing in this role. And people don't tend to get better when they get to his age, like 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 not much better anyway, right? And so if you just but they don't make the, huge fundamental changes. That's what I mean. So he yeah. played like a full month prior to that, and he topped fifty fantasy points three times, three times since December eighteenth, before this last crazy stretch, right? Um, and I just think he's a guy who's going to score about what his season average says he's going to score about forty five to forty seven fan dual points a game, and that's just not good enough at <laughs> 800. So, uh, you know, good matchup. Uh, he's like a he's not an unreasonable big money payoff today or anything, but not where you want to start. I don't think so. I don't know if he's going to be chalk or not. Uh, sounds like you might think that he is, and I think I'd be totally fine with it. I think he's like he's my my top candidate right now for a guy who's going to be crashing down to earth sometime soon. I do think what you could see is if, like, especially if Harden played, I think you could see a situation where it's like Kyrie and Dame are the chalk, or chalk uh, point guards, right? Because like, there's very few big money payoffs elsewhere. Especially if you're, like, I'm talking Fanduel. If you're playing Pirtle, then you're really not going to play Drummond, right? So now you're starting to run out of even places to spend money. And so I think that, and if and if Harden came back, I think people would be a little bit worried about where to go like to whether to play the Russ kind of hardened combination or one or the other. So I think at that point for sub 10,000 for both those guys, you could see a situation where you got Lillard and Irving. And then the last guy, I, this is probably more of a DraftKings question, is Whiteside. Whiteside, he is getting very expensive and sort of right, rightfully so as he's been just, we've had finally just getting Hassan Whiteside playing 
real minutes every single game. Now, the production's been up and down. He's played 37, 36, 31, 33, 35 over the last five. And he's topped, he's run around 50 points twice in there. He got a high 40s. He did dumpster you twice at a 27 and 24 fantasy point game. But is he a cash game play against a Houston team? This game, you know, has the highest over-under of the slate for good reason. Um, quick thoughts on Whiteside, then we'll get finish off with the last game. Yeah, I think Whiteside, he has a little bum hunt in him where when the matchup is great, he just gets in there and starts just wrecking house. He's kind of like a, a, a Drummond that way. And if you look at this game log, you're going to see some games where he's the guy who won you the big tournament. And just in the last four games, there's two nights where he could be on a big tournament winning lineup and two nights where he's in the dead last place lineup. So uh, that's uh, okay. You know, that's that's kind of just how I see him on a night-to-night basis. So absolutely explosive upside and just crippling automatic loss downside. So take that for what it's worth. I, I don't I don't know which tonight's going to be if that's what you're asking. This game, I mentioned the over-under. This game's over-under is 235 and a half. That's 10 points, points higher Ten points higher than the next closest game. So and on a smaller slate, it's going to be, it'd be, it'd be real tough, I think, to go into this slate not having any guys from this game. I don't, I'm not suggesting we do this, but I'm saying if you were to roll this way because you were worried about you know, injury news or if you thought that some of these guys were priced appropriately, to not have any exposure to this game one way or the other would be a, it'd be a tough call. So I think we're going to have... We're going to have some ownership here. It's just kind of, I think this early, it's a little hard to know exactly where it's going to be, and I'm kind of focusing that mostly around the Houston side of it. Let's finish it off. Thunder go in and play the Kings. Thunder did sit out Chris Paul last game on Sunday. I'm getting my days confused. It was either Sunday or Monday, uh, but he is back, probable to play in this game. So they are getting fully healthy, uh, at least around the core pieces that matter for them. That's like Paul, Gallo, uh, SGA, Schrader, and Steven Adams, who also came back and played last game. Uh, and then we get Sacramento, who just kind of seems uh, sort of a mess at times. They changed their starting lineup. You know, Buddy Heald was like going to be like I, the question before the season was: Is Buddy Heald a max guy? And now it's like: Is Buddy Heald ever going to start again? Like this is like this team is all <laughs> all over the place because they've been they've been starting Bogdan Bogdanovich at the two. Uh, now they have won their last two games after they made that move to move the 17 and 19. But still, the season's really gone off the rails. Uh, any thoughts on the Kings and the Thunder? Well, one of my main thoughts about the Thunder is because we've been a little bit disillusioned by these effort-based guys, is this season has just made me really like Chris Paul a lot more yeah. again. Um, it was the first know, after, game he missed last after, year. Exactly. Well, that, that's what brought it to mind for me, which is like last year in Houston, he just like looked so sad, and it wasn't coming together. He shot 42% from the field. It looked like he was just totally cooked. And for all these guys like Carl Anthony Towns that are on, you know, walk into situations, they already start moping. The team starts losing, and probably because of their effort in large part. But Paul just did the exact opposite. Like He went to what everyone would have called a much worse situation after coming off a Rockets team that was a real finals contender, and he just pulled this team up to being awesome too. And that's all I can ask for from my guys that are supposed to be superstar quality talent, right? Like the fact that OKC is 28 and 10, or 28 and 20, that would be really good, 28 and 20, uh, it's just awesome. So hats off to Chris Paul. Love to see it. Uh, and from a DFS perspective, I don't know how much really comes together <laughs> besides my my praise of Chris Paul. I think actually he is a sort of playable option, although the minutes have been more on the lower side recently, and so you can't really look at season-long averages for him. Um, I think Sacramento is a totally reasonable matchup. I don't think I'm going to, for starters, run any Sacramento guys the other way. I don't know how yeah. you feel about that. But okay, so. see, especially in the backcourt, which is where most of Sacramento's interesting DFS plays come from. OKC's backward defense is just outrageous between Paul and SGA. Like they've just been absolutely destroying people this season. 
I know they're, I think they're, yeah, second uh, in terms of fantasy scoring for opposing shooting guards, second best, so stopping them at the highest rate. And then they're like seventh or eighth against point guards. So, yeah, this is a really, really tough matchup for Sacramento. But, but yeah, I could see the uh, the OKC guys, you know, coming the other way. They're somewhat fairly priced, but Sacramento is a good enough matchup that I, I'd be curious here. Yeah, I think I kind of land there too. This is not the this is this this uh, has a two twenty and a half over under. I believe that's the lowest of this slate. Oh no, sorry, uh, Indiana and the Bulls are two fourteen. So second lowest total of the slate. Really good defense going one way. A team that's very difficult to figure out what they're going on. I don't mind Bijalisa. He actually has had his minutes pretty. His minutes appear safe. It's crazy because he was the guy that was like the least safe of the, of the group for a long time in terms of what his run was going to be. But his minutes and opportunity feel locked in at this point. But the rest of the group, outside of Darren Fox, probably at like 35, 36 minutes, you know, you can't really trust Deadman, even though they've been short on bigs and his production has kind of been all over the place too. So not a lot to like here, I don't think. I think we are going to see concentration in at least in ownership around just a few games in this slate. And it's one of these slates where, yeah, sometimes, sometimes you get the Atlanta and you get uh, the Wiz that you can stack against. And, you know, the Bucks drop 88 points in the first half against the Wiz to dial up to 151 on the night without Giannis. Have fun. Uh, and then you get the Knights that's just kind of a lot of the Bulls and the Pacers and Pistons and teams like this. But there's still value to be had. So if you want to head over to our site, dfsr.com slash deals, dailyfantasysportsrankings.com slash deals, you can get a free seven-day trial membership to our premium projections. That's Optimal Lineups, FanDuel, and DraftKings NBA, NHL. Uh, Members-only chat. It's all covered under one subscription. It's free for seven days and then just $29.95 a month after, and you're good to go. Buddy, enjoy your Wednesday in the association. Peace.